Welcome to Pod Tease. Each week, we'll grant your wish. We'll surprise and delight you with binge-worthy podcasts that are sure to become your new favorites. Our hand-picked selection of changemakers, rebels, do-gooders, educators, funny makers, and more will make their way onto your new and noteworthy list. Do you have a show that you think needs to be featured? Check out our show notes for your chance to be our next Pod Tease. I'm one of your hosts, Karina Belizzi, and today I am thrilled to extend a little bit of extra love to all of you for Earth Day. I'm going to feature a podcast today that is focused on one particular sector that aims to help feed people around the globe, and that is vertical farming. The podcast you'll hear in just a few moments is the number one podcast in the vertical farming space. It was independently created by a friend of mine in podcasting, Harry Duran. Harry is an avid podcaster who also has another show called Podcast Junkies, where he interviews podcasters about their shows. You might just want to check that out too. Yours truly has been featured on that show to discuss my social impact and sustainability show. Now, this is a different take. This is a take that pulls you into the world of technology to try and solve some of our global problems, erase food deserts, ensure that healthy greens are finding their ways into the households of people that live anywhere in the world, and a space where people are able to vertically farm indoors using LED lights, robotics, artificial intelligence. It's a burgeoning field of complexity with a lot of entrepreneurs that are working to see if they can solve some of these global challenges. Now, in this particular episode, you are going to hear from Eric Levesque. He's the co-founder of Cultivated. And in this particular episode, you get to learn a little bit about what it takes to fund and run a company in this space of vertical farming. Now, there are naysayers within the community of climate activism that say, yeah, vertical farming is great, but it's not going to solve our global problems. I come from a different perspective. I really think that we need all hands on deck. And if we can figure out a way to feed the populace, to feed people from coast to coast, from state to state, from country to country, to get them healthy foods with low expense, fresh, without having to worry about freezing them or truck them an awful long space, then guess what? We're working towards something great. So I think that this show is really incredible. Harry Duran is an incredible interviewer. He really knows how to bring out the best in his guests. And his soothing voice may just lull you into a sense of meditation. Without further ado, let's mix it with Harry Duran. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast, Season 4, welcome back. First time listeners, you're in the right place. If you're looking for a show where we interview some of the most fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world, I'm your host, Harry Duran. In case you missed last week's episode, I spoke to Scott Bryson of Orbital Farm. It's a company supplying fresh veggies, fish, vegan protein to local markets around the world. Scott has spent his life and career as a problem solver in picking stones and bailing hay in farm fields to becoming an entrepreneur at 22 and building a multi-million dollar advertising agency over a decade. Really insightful 
conversation with Scott. Make sure you check that out. This week, I speak to Eric Levet, co-founder and managing director at Cultivated, our seasoned sponsor, and round two visit from Eric. Can't say enough good things about the relationship we've had with Cultivated, and it was great to bring Eric back for a deep dive and a revisit of what's been changing in the industry rapidly in the year since we've spoken last, and it is a insightful conversation, to say the least. We had one new review come in from Tyler. He says, great podcast with key leaders in indoor ag. I really enjoyed the guests and the discussions. Highly recommend five stars. Thank you for that, Tyler. Don't forget, if you'd like your review read out, head on over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP, and we'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Okay, let's get into this round two conversation with Eric. So, Eric Levesque, welcome back for round two on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so lots has been happening as of this recording, December 28th, uh, 2021. We recently announced the news that you had completed your Series A $3 million round, so congratulations on that. Thank you. What, uh, I mean, there's a lots of places to start, uh, you know, interest in anything vertical farming related it seems like it's been taking off and like what's top of mind for you and as you as you think about i mean it's probably been over a year and a half since we last chatted and you know what's what's been buzzing in your mind yeah it's got to be about a year or so since we've chatted definitely yeah this year has been has been pretty wild you know you start a company and you set some metrics for yourself but you know that's just kind of a a nice a nice dream to have for yourself and it's been, yeah, I don't know, the reception has been out of this world. I think we've really hit a, a sweet spot here. We've hit a niche and uh, the reception from everyone has just been out of this world. The service we're offering obviously is needed in this industry to, you know, help people really succeed in purchasing farms and getting the proper education that they need. And uh, yeah, I guess we, we made some assumptions of how it would go, but it's been, uh, we've been crushing those metrics, which is <laughs> a dream for any entrepreneur. Talk a little bit about those assumptions in the beginning. Like you came into, and, and maybe a quick refresher for folks. Obviously, we'll direct them back to the first conversation we had together. But for people who just want the overview of the cultivated story and, and how you got started, if you want to give the abbreviated version. Yeah. So my partner and I have been in the industry for the better part of a decade. We've been in a few different startups in the space, and we realized that one of the biggest problems was that people were being pigeonholed into the wrong solution. It's really cumbersome to try to find the right information when you're getting into vertical farming and to try to find the right company for you. And so sometimes you might bump into the wrong company and go down that rabbit hole and end up purchasing a system that, although is great for something, might not be great for what you want to accomplish. And we saw so many farms closing, we kind of wanted a new way of addressing this problem. So what we did was partner with 40 or 50 of the industry's best companies to be able to offer their solutions. And so when somebody reaches out to us with their goals and what they want to accomplish, we'll have a solution regardless of what that might be. And then we even uh, offer a farming as a service package to kind of wrap it all together where we'll send farmers to your location for a short or extended period of time to either train or operate your farm head to toe. You mentioned this idea of like people starting and going down the wrong path. Are there some like uh, horror stories that you heard of people that when they got started or they, they had a preconceived notion about what they were expecting with a, a different service and it didn't turn out the way they planned? 
Yeah, I think there are quite a few people who are not educated properly in terms of thinking that these systems are more automated than they are. Obviously, there's a great deal of automation and the systems are, are wonderful, but you have to be careful in, in telling somebody that the system is automated when most of the time it's kind of the lights turning themselves on or off or the doser, you know, pumping the right amount of nutrients to the plants. Uh, but there is still quite a lot of labor that goes into the majority of these. And so I think it's less on that side of things, although that is an issue, and more in terms of, you know, somebody wants to grow kale and basil and they go to your company and say, this is what I want to accomplish. You might know that the neighboring company does this better, but you're in business. And so you still have to suggest your products to them. And so that's why we ended up with this solution. We just kind of wanted to alleviate that issue. It's really hard to find the right stuff since everything is so new. And so when you're coming in here, we just want to make sure that whatever you want to do, if you're wanting to be a part of the solution and join this industry, we want to give you the best chance at succeeding, which is why we've partnered with companies we trust and we we work well with. And so we've got uh, something to offer to everyone. What were those early conversations like with some of these companies? There's other people that have done similar brokerage type services in the past, I would imagine. And I wonder, as you start to have these early conversations, they, they're trying to figure out who you are, what's your background, and what's your approach, and how you're going to treat this differently. Yeah, so we were a bit lucky in that my partner and I, like I said, had been in industry for a while. And so reaching out to most of these companies, I had worked with a good portion of them. And so they all, I, we kind of all worked together. We had a pretty good reputation coming into this. And so setting up those agreements, although it's time consuming, was fairly simple. But yeah, nothing, nothing more than that. I think they kind of knew what we were aiming for. And we've had, like I said, quite a reception. Everyone has really... Um, loved the the concept. We're able to offer the majority of our services for free because we get paid on the back end from the suppliers. And so it really alleviates the pressure of somebody trying to come in and say, thinking I might have to pay X, Y, or Z for a plan to just see whether I want to do this or not. And so that's been, you know, I think a big portion of our success. Where do you see people have the most success when they work with you in terms of pre-work experience, business experience, farming experience? Is, is there like a sweet spot where when they start, like you've seen because they have like A, B, and C, they're more likely to succeed? Yeah. So we're basically just doing all of the legwork for you. You tell us the majority of our clients for on the small side, at least are telling us, I want to grow something. I'm not sure how to get there. And so what we do is we will tailor a solution that we feel adequately resembles what they are trying to accomplish. And then we can kind of just tailor it from there, depending on what they actually want to do. Do you have a building? Do you have funding? What scale do you want to start at? What market are you trying to serve? What crops in your area are commanding a price? And then we can just give them some tips that some people kind of overlook where usually if you're starting a smaller farm, you want to try monocropping instead of diving into a bunch of different things and just some things that they haven't thought of in the past. But we help with business planning. We help with uh, marketing, market analysis, research, all of these things. So we're really taking out all of the legwork and giving you uh, basically a finalized business plan with uh, a number at the end that says, hey, if you want to move forward, this is it. And uh, you know, then you just kind of sign on the dotted line and you're off to the races. Are people expressing an interest in specific types of crops? Are you seeing trends? I think we're seeing still the majority of people for leafy greens and herbs, since that's what the systems are capable of producing. But we're seeing a lot more trending towards 
fruiting crops, mostly strawberries, which is kind of the next big ticket item. Um, and so a few companies are kind of pushing their tech to see what they can accomplish in terms of that. But I, I would assume that strawberries will be the next, uh, the next frontier for us. I had a really good conversation with uh, Hiroki from Oishi. <laughs> it was fascinating to, to understand how, how important uh, the varieties are. It's almost like wine in France, right? That each region in Japan had like different strawberries. And I guess because of, you know, obviously because of the size, it's something that people have trended towards as the next crop that's of interest to them. Yeah, certainly. I think there's a really good margin there. And because the crop is so hard to, to get your hands on in specific parts of the world, because it's only grown in s some very small portions. Yeah, it can, it can definitely be a, a little bit tricky to get your hands on them. So being able to offer a solution that grows this 365 days a year, regardless of where you're located, makes that product even more premium. How much of this is a learning process for you, or is this the part where you rely on the partners who have a specialty or expertise in certain crops? Yeah. So in the beginning, we certainly leaned on them a little bit more than we do now. We have been able to round out our team. We're about a dozen full-timers right now. And so everyone's kind of taking their crack at a few of the partners to make sure that we are specializing, but we do lean on them quite a bit still. Obviously, it's their technology, it's their experience, and we want to make sure we use the best version of that. But uh, yeah, I'd say it's a good mix, but in the beginning, it was certainly uh, quite a bit of leaning on them. So talk a little bit about how the, if any, the business model has changed since the last time we talked and, and what your thoughts were about, you know, if I was to have asked you back then what you thought it would look like a year <laughs> and a half into the future, how different is that than what's actually happened? Yeah. So I think last time we spoke, we had assumed that we would be seeing smaller deal flow. Um, we had expected deals to be probably in the range of a quarter million to half a million, where our average deal right now is probably 5 million plus, And we're working on quite a few mega projects of a hundred million dollars plus. And so, yeah, I guess that would be the biggest, the biggest kind of shock to me is that there are so many larger corporations who are looking at doing things at scale and that have realized this is the only answer for the time being. We have to adapt to this. We have to go indoors. We have to be part of the solution. And so they're looking at making change at a really high level on a big scale. And so it's pretty exciting for us. We're, you know, we're biting off maybe almost more than we can chew, but we're bringing on the right people to make sure that uh, we don't have any issues with that. And so, yeah, we're really excited to see what 2022 brings. It feels like a strike while the iron is hot moment, right? In terms of like the interest in the space. I'm wondering if that's changed the mix of the, the partners you had. So I think the 30 companies that you started with, how has that changed? Has that grown? Have some companies left and others come on board? Um, yeah, we haven't any companies as of yet, I, I don't believe, but we have brought on quite a few larger partners some of the bigger technology providers to be able to satisfy the needs of some of these big clients who are looking at doing, you know, operations where they're growing millions of pounds a year. And we've also, we'll be announcing in the new year, a capital fund called Cultivated Capital with our funding partner, uh, who just closed our series A with a minimum subscription of $50 million that we're hoping to oversubscribe by quite a bit so that we can help fund some of these larger scale projects that we really believe in as well. So really an A to Z solution here where we'll be able to fund the project at least portion in equity financing, and then also select a technology and then help to operate the farms with our farming as a service package as well. How has that changed the things you thought you'd be focused on <laughs> when you started? 
Yeah, I think uh, any entrepreneur knows that at least in the beginning, you have to be a little bit agile with your business since uh, sometimes the model seems to pivot quite a bit. And that's definitely what we're seeing here. We were going to be focusing, you know, on just smaller clients on a one-on-one basis. And now we've kind of segmented the company into two or three different portions where we'll have the smaller farmers who are looking to just start a little farm for their community. And then we've got the larger scale projects with bigger conglomerates. And then we've also got the farming as a service for for all of these. We weren't thinking that the farming as a service would take off quite as much as it did, but it seems like almost everyone is wanting some level of oversight for their farm, at least in the beginning, to ensure its success. So that's a super exciting avenue. We've brought on some people specifically for that as well. So they're they're operating that side of the business, but everything's been been flowing extremely well so far. Talk a little bit about how that's changed or what you'd need this is just as the the founders, like you know, maybe the skill sets that you guys had in place and were thinking of hiring for, has that changed at all in terms of because of the scale at which you're growing now? Yeah. So the team members that we've brought on recently have actually kind of replaced the jobs that we thought we would be doing in the beginning so that we could focus on some of the bigger picture and the the larger projects that we have, we didn't anticipate so much uh, travel, return to travel. I've been on the go quite a bit doing kind of the conference circuit and visiting with a lot of our partners and some of these bigger farms, which has kind of taken me out of my previous role, which was kind of in the business development and uh, sales side of things. But we've brought on some really key people. Almost all of our staff comes from the industry as well, from different companies. So it's been uh, a bit quicker to get them up to speed since they're coming with a good base of knowledge. How has that changed your management style (laughs) or how have you had to like adjust in terms of like, you know, learning or putting yourself in a position that is different than what you thought would, would be when you started? Yeah, I feel like ever since I got into this industry, it's been a million miles a minute. I've been kind of just thrown into the fire from day one and it hasn't really slowed down. I kind of always feel like I have a grasp on something and then somebody throws me a brand new curveball of something new and gigantic and exciting that we can't uh, turn away from. So yeah, it's definitely always evolving. I think we're still kind of finding our footing as a company, but this uh, Series A certainly helps to kind of cement what we're looking to accomplish here. So. How have you had to grow as a, as a person and as a, as a leader? Definitely had to get a bit more organized, which is quite the task for me. Yeah. But yeah, we've, like I said, we've hired some people to help with that specifically as well. Just manage my time better. Obviously, when you start a company, you're kind of just seeing what sticks and seeing what the market has an appetite for. But then when you raise some investment, you start to be held a bit more accountable. And uh, you got to make sure you perform based on the metrics that you've you've pitched. So yeah, I think we've got the right team in place for it. I'm super excited to see what we can pull off here. How long was the process for the funding? Talk a little bit about that journey. The funding took a little while. That was an evolving discussion as well. And because the fund uh, was a condition of it, of the fundraise, it, uh, it added some complexities there. So raising money is always kind of a, a complicated task since it's it's always got so many moving parts. It took us probably about four months, which is actually not so bad in terms of, of how much we raise as a new company. And uh, attaching a $50 million fund to that is, is quite a big deal for us, obviously, and for the industry. So four months might seem long, but it's actually probably pretty short in terms of, of a deal like this. Have you ever had, had you had experience raising that amount of money before? 
So we did raise a pre-seed round in, I believe, January or February, maybe right before we spoke, or that was about to close last time we spoke. Yeah. But no, that was as much as we had raised. We had had different discussions with different groups, but yeah, this is the most uh, I've raised so far. And uh, like I said, attaching the fund, we're hoping to oversubscribe to 200 to 500 million, fingers crossed, so that we can really make a dent in, in the industry and make a big splash this year. So when did the idea for the including the fund as part of the raise come about? So our investor was really interested in owning some equity in some different farming projects and doing his own farming projects as well. And so he kind of came up with the idea of a fund with us and we were kind of positioning it in a way that we could invest and get some equity from these farms that we're funding and launching and operating ourselves. And then we were kind of debating back and forth whether we should be investing in startups like ours who are leading the industry or if we wanted to do farms solely. And I think for this first fund, we'll be looking at doing equity financing solely for farming projects, probably within two to five million dollar range per deal. Okay. But these details are still being ironed out. The fund is closed and we'll be announcing it probably the first week of January. But yeah. I imagine you have a lot of the experience from a due diligence perspective, because it's what you guys do. So is that what you're applying to thinking about which of these projects you guys want to actually invest in? Yeah, exactly. So we'll be managing the fund and picking which projects will be being chosen by our fund. One of the conditions is that they must be working with a brokerage, obviously. There will probably be some form of farming as a service contracts, unless you have a team in place that we feel is capable of operating it without our help. But yeah, there are a few conditions we haven't fully ironed out. We've identified enough deals for nearly the first set of 50 million that will come into the fund already. We've been having chats with them. You know, these conversations have been ongoing for a while, but we were just waiting to kind of dot the I's and cross the T's before we, we announced it to the public, which should be, I believe, the first week of January, as mentioned. Yeah. So it coincide nicely with the release of this episode. <laughs> What's been the the reaction or the interest? You know, is, were you surprised by that as well? Yeah. So the fund obviously has been super exciting for us. We know that launching that is going to get a, a lot of attention. Everyone that we've spoken to about it now that it's it is kind of closed has been extremely excited. Everyone has projects they want to bring to us. Obviously, that's why we're hoping to oversubscribe the fund. There is. You know, one of the biggest issues for funds is that usually there's not enough projects for it and you're always searching for something. In this industry, it seems to be the complete opposite where we have too many projects that need funding and too many great businessmen with good ideas who are in great locations. And so we have to be really selective in which companies we work with and which projects we take on. But that's kind of an exciting part and obviously a, a pretty good thing when you have too much business to take care of. How do you think about the mix of crops or technologies or are you trying to make sure that that's balanced out as well no not specifically i think it'll end up being that way but i don't think we really have a focus on that we're really looking for projects that make sense you know some locations make more sense than others and some technologies in certain places make more sense and so we're just making sure that we're doing our due diligence and vetting the the partners and the people bringing these projects to us to make sure that they have the best chances of success are you starting to see overlap in terms of multiple similar type projects existing in the same region and you have to be selective about which ones you help support? Not yet. We obviously don't want to create competition for people that we work with. That's definitely not what we're here for. 
But I think for the time being, there's still so much appetite for vertical farming and such a need for, for produce to be grown in these locations that even if we were to deploy multiple farms in the same location, they still wouldn't really be affecting each other. That's one of the most common misconceptions about indoor farming is that if somebody puts a small farm in a city of 100,000 people, then there can't be another one when they could actually be a dozen. They probably wouldn't even really be aware of each other's existence. Yeah, I think the biggest analogy people can think of is just multiple big chain supermarkets existing in the same, or even like a CVS across from a Walgreens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the same type of vibe. How much of that is an education process for the pe for people that that are worried about competition? So most people will bring that up. It's. Uh, been, I wouldn't say an issue, but people usually will ask for some form of exclusivity. We kind of have to comfort them and tell them that it's really not needed. There have been deals with some companies for exclusivity in a certain region based on aggressive expansion plans. But uh, yeah, that has been one of the things that people have been a bit concerned about, which seems to be pretty simple once we show them the metrics and the market analysis that we've done and the appetite for how much it really needs to be grown in a city of that size and then how much they're growing. They see that they're you know maybe growing half a percent of what is being consumed in the city. It makes them feel a little bit better. And how much of the support do they get from you versus the partners they eventually get connected with when it comes to the marketing aspects as well? So I'd say it would depend on the partner, but for the most part, it's probably about 50-50. We offer ongoing support for the lifetime of the farm on our end, and most of the companies are pretty good at doing that as well. So we just want to make sure that they're fully supported. Depending on what level of help they require, there can be some fees to that. Like the farming as a service, obviously, if we're sending somebody to your location, that's a paid service. And then if you want a business plan or some market analysis or help with research, usually we just quote based on the size and scope of the project. So you've been doing a lot of travel recently. I think uh, we had to work a couple of times to get this scheduled because you were in Dubai. <laughs> so what's been the, uh, the itinerary uh, the, the past year? Where have you been traveling to? So I just came back from Dubai recently. I'm actually leaving for Texas in a few days here for the next few months, try to escape this uh, Canadian winter. So that's uh, pretty exciting. But uh, yeah, I've been uh, mostly in Canada and the States doing some of the conferences and meeting up with our partners that we didn't have a chance to visit with during COVID. But we are looking to expand right now. We have some really big projects, one or two in Texas, one in Perth, Australia, and a handful in Dubai. And we're looking at opening offices there, which was part of this funding round as well. So you should see some pretty extensive and aggressive uh, expansion plans from Cultivated this year. Can you talk a little bit about the sort of the environment there? Not the physical environment, but actually like the vertical farming like space, like when you go to places like Perth, when you go to Dubai, Talk a little bit about what you're what you're seeing and hearing on the ground there. Yeah, so this was my fourth time in the UAE, I believe. And the last few times, there definitely was an appetite for it. But I think the general consumer was not ready to pay a premium price for a premium product, which seems to be coming around now. You know, when we got into this industry a handful of years ago, everyone I would talk to about what I was doing had had no idea and had never heard of it. And that seems to be happening a bit less and less. And people are starting to understand that this really is the only solution that we have for the time being. And so that if we don't adapt now, we're going to be left holding the bag, so to speak, in a few years from now. And the UAE seems to really be coming around. The government is pouring hundreds of millions of dollars of funding into projects like this. And uh, I think more and more people are just paying attention and realizing that this needs to be done. So 
from my dealings there, it just makes sense for us to have an office and, and maybe a small staff on site. Obviously, it's a lot easier to do business face to face and makes things a bit more comfortable. And so we're hoping to have an office in all three of those locations before the year's end. What type of farms? Is it, is it the same mix like you, what you would see here in the States? You know, you, everything from container farms to, you know, obviously the big box spaces. Are you seeing that same mix in places like Dubai and Perth? So we're actually seeing kind of a mix of what we're calling a hybrid farm where there'll be some container aspect and some warehouse aspect and some greenhouse aspect as well. Not all of them being copy paste versions of each other, but some environments like Dubai are a little bit better for greenhouses just based on the weather out there and the you know the lack of water and some other issues. But uh, yeah, we're really seeing a mixture of People want to grow different crops and they're realizing that not every crop can be grown as well in every system. And so they're really doing a mix to alleviate that and to make sure that they're able to grow some berries with some fruits, maybe some vine crops and just to, just to kind of diversify the portfolio. What's the mix look like when it comes to thinking about things like access to power? Obviously, that's, that's going to be very important, you know, for, for the running of these farms. And that's different, you know, from the, I actually, when you mentioned Texas, you know, they just had the complete issues with their power <laughs> last winter. Do you, different regions have different challenges when it comes to things like that? Yeah. So the biggest challenge for a lot of the re- regions is water scarcity which is one of the biggest problems that indoor farming addresses. And for power, we've actually been seeing more and more projects where we have a a microgrid partner that we're working with now that would be installing microgrids in some of these locations, especially on tropical islands where the power is extremely unreliable and you might be without power for 48 hours at a time once a week. They have gigantic backup generators there, but that's obviously not uh, the best possible solution for projects like this where you can't really have any downtime and generators can only do so much. So we're looking more and more into installing microgrids specifically for these larger scale projects, especially the ones that are upwards of 10, 20 million. And is that relationship that you had or, or that factoring that into the equation, the idea of microgrids is the first time you've had to think to think about that? We hadn't really thought about it so much until we had a large deal in the Caribbean on an island where, like I said, the power was was shutting off once a week, at least for 24 hours. And so installing a system like this that would grow millions of pounds of food is going to require quite a bit of power. It's going to need to be very sturdy and very robust and make sure that it addresses those problems, which is how we kind of got connected with a microgrid partner and started going down the line of, hey, if we wanted to install these in locations X, Y, and Z, what would that look like? And what's that add to the CapEx, but then remove from the OpEx later on? And so this is going to be a partner you're going to be working with going forward? We have more than one partner we, we've spoken to, but there is one that we've identified that I think we'll be moving forward with on the majority of these projects. And then that situation that you saw with Dubai, that's basically, is that, do you see the same things? Cause you mentioned Perth as well as, and I remember from the announcement that it's one of the key locations you're focused on. Yeah, I think it's, it's less of an issue in some other locations like that, but there are still quite a few places. We have a deal that we're working with in Lagos right now that has absolutely no power and has these same issues. So tackling these uh, water and power issues is going to be a big proponent of installing some of these larger farms in, in areas that really need it. Are you running into any regulation issues or, or government related like hiccups? So far, not so much, although that's not my forte. We do have people that kind of handle that portion for us. 
but no, less than you would imagine. So, I mean, I imagine they're to the extent that you're providing the, the access to food that's previously been, you know, not available. I don't know that they're working. I mean, imagine to some extent welcoming you with opening arms, but also trying to make sure that you have all the resources at your disposal to make sure that, that, that the project is a success. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we brought people on to the team for the farming as a service side that are kind of identifying even more at scale, all of these these uh, metrics and all of these things that need to be accounted for, which includes obviously sending people in visas and uh, power and all of these things that sometimes are are overlooked when you just kind of see the grand scale of a project and you say, wow, it would be great to deploy a farm in Lagos and, you know, feed a million people, but that's going to require a hundred people to operate the farm. It's going to require the microgrid partner. It's going to require visas and accommodations, travel, you know, where are we putting these people? Where are they going to live? What's the term? What's uh, all these other issues? So that portion, like I said, we brought somebody on specifically for that, which has, has helped us greatly to kind of flush that out and determine what that's going to take. But yeah, it is quite a bit of work, but in terms of regulation, it's been, it's been simpler than I had previously anticipated. Where are you being personally pushed out of your comfort zone because <laughs> of the, 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 the rate of this growth? I'm generally pretty easygoing, so I kind of tend to go with the flow. I've had it pretty easy this far, especially with this company. The staff I have around me is fantastic. I definitely wouldn't be here without them. I haven't been pushed out of my comfort zone a bit too much. Honestly, doing a, some stuff like this in the limelight is a little bit odd for me. Definitely not something I, I would have, have wanted to do previously, but uh, yeah, it's honestly, everything's been so good. It's, it's hard to, to find something to complain about. How do you think about the mix of the team that you have to build to sustain this growth and to ensure that everything, you know, all the, all the moving parts, especially now different locations, you know, I don't know if these are things that you thought of when you started that you or thought of when you started, but it, it, I imagine there's some different things that are top of mind for you than they were maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah, certainly. So we mostly assumed we would become kind of a sales and marketing team. And that's kind of the focus that we had with our original staff members. Obviously, this farming as a service is a gigantic endeavor that will require hundreds of employees for these locations, the majority of which we hope to find wherever we deploy these farms. We have started warm pooling. We have uh, open applications for farm tech operators and some other roles that you can apply for directly on our website or through our LinkedIn. But we will have to find, you know, like I said, a hundred or so people for these these deployments, which has been the biggest pivot for us. There aren't a ton of people who have a handful of experience farming indoors. And even though farming outdoors does translate quite well, there is still quite a learning curve that we're looking to bridge the gap with. And so we have a handful of farmers that we have on our staff who have some experience and we've been sending them around the world to our partners to work with them so that they learn their technology better so that they'll be able to transfer that knowledge onto these new employees. But I would say that that's definitely been the the biggest challenge thus far is just finding more operators who are willing to move to different portions of the world and operate these farms. It feels like there's a like a, a moment where the awareness is just continues to increase and you know we're on season 4 of the show and it feels like when you think you might be hitting a plateau, it's just like new companies coming up and new people going to specific niche industries within vertical farming as well. Are you seeing anything new in terms of technologies or companies that are moving into the space? 
there's definitely never a lack of companies coming into the space, but that makes it super exciting. We're bumping into new partners, new innovations. We're seeing a lot more on the smaller side of things, on the hobbyist side, just somebody who wants to go kind of off-grid in their home with some little little devices or little machines that you could have in your kitchen, and then some larger scale ones for restaurant use and hotel use, which are, are really cool. I think in the beginning, those were kind of piecemealed a bit and just uh, kind of an idea. But these new iterations that we're seeing from these companies like fully automated with an application on your phone that allows you to run it. And that tells you when it's going to run out of nutrients or if your plants aren't getting enough X, Y, and Z is super cool. It's really taken all of the grunt work out of it. And so you can have one of these systems in your home growing all the herbs and lettuces that you could ever want. And it's kind of at the touch of a button. It turns itself on and off and tells you, you know, 12 hours or 24 hours before you're going to have any issues to ensure that it runs properly. So that part's been pretty cool. Any of them that you've been able to test in your own home? <laughs> yeah, quite a few, actually. Most of our partners who have those smaller scale models have sent us some for testing. So some that we work with like a Grobo or just Vertical that have some pretty cool products. We've got one in our office growing some some lettuce and some basil in there. But yeah, the, the, the phone applications has been kind of the coolest portion for me. It's nice to see it really coming together and it really working instead of the first iterations where they were kind of just figuring it out. Is there anything that you hadn't mentioned in terms of technologies that has you excited that you've seen, even if it's some of it could be, I'm sure, cutting edge or bleeding edge right now? Yeah, we're seeing more automation. Definitely some of the larger scale partners, like you said, we, we had to reach out to some larger scale partners to satisfy some of these larger scale projects. And those come with quite a, a degree of automation. It's pretty exciting and cool to see some of these farms at scale and what they're capable of producing because of that level of automation where you're doing most of the hands-on portion, either planting or harvesting, but the rest is kind of done for you. Yeah, there's some really cool containerized solution. and We've seen a push too for containers being put indoors, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now, but there has been some some really cool things on the on the mega, mega farming scale. How would you define a, a mega farm? Maybe something over 25,000 square feet of growing space. Okay. And are, we, are you seeing more of those now than, than when we last chatted? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I thought that uh, projects like that would be kind of a one-off for us. And it seems like that's kind of becoming our bread and butter. We have all of these larger conglomerates reaching out to us and asking for advice. They, they know that this is the next step for them and they're not sure where to start. And so the education that we offer is is exactly what they need to move forward on a project. And now that we've been able to secure these partnerships with these big players, it just makes our lives easier and makes theirs easier. So exciting to see where that goes. How much of the conversations when these conglomerates come into the space is about you educating them on what the space is and what the potential is? Or do they have preconceived notions where you have to sort of manage expectations for them? It's been a mix of both. Some of these companies, you can tell, have done their homework a little bit more and they're ready to dive in and they already have some idea of where they want to end up or who they'd like to work with. And they're just kind of looking for a confirmation that what they they believe to be true is, is the way they should be thinking. And then we have the other ones where they just kind of hop in and say, hey, everyone's making waves in this industry. I need to know what I'm missing here. And so those conversations are pretty fun because we get to kind of mold them from the beginning and really show them the power that indoor farming has. But yeah, it's it's exciting regardless of the project. Are some of them 
surprised by the what the potential is when they come into the conversation and, and after being educated from you guys like seeing what the potential is yeah we get clients all the time who are are shocked at the level of automation that can be achieved in some of these farms i think they just kind of assumed it's a bunch of racks growing lettuce inside of a gigantic building but when they see the lights turn themselves on and off and the dosing and robotic arms cleaning and moving plants and and harvesting i think they a lot of people haven't realized the level of commitment that some of these companies are going through to really push this forward to ensure the future of the food chain. Are they looking to really make a name for themselves in the space or are they happy to partner with folks that have had success and maybe something along the lines of a white label or what type of mix are you seeing? Yeah, we're seeing a bit of everything when it comes to that. Different companies have different end goals here. Some are looking to shorten their their chain from food to fork. We're seeing a lot of grocery store chains that want to have their own kind of white label products. Most of them, luckily for us, are not willing or wanting to operate their own farms. They're just looking to, you know, understand why this would make more sense for them and how this would get them a better bottom line with healthier, safer produce that could be labeled under their umbrella, which is obviously a big factor for them. And that's kind of the majority of what we've been seeing. Everyone wants to have their own kind of solution and not have to rely on a third party or a fourth party to ensure that their lettuce or basil is getting to their store. They're dealing with such astronomical numbers. And some of these are, are importing from so far away. It's been such a, a problem pre-COVID. And I think COVID just shed some light on how poor the supply chain really is, especially in terms of food and, and how fragile it is because of how short the shelf life of produce is. And so this is a, a problem that they've realized needs to be addressed now. And they're thinking, instead of having somebody else do it, how can we do it? Do you see that when after those conversations that they and and the light goes off in their head, like they, they get excited at, at the potential for what's available, but also coming out with different ideas than they had when they started the conversation with you? Most of them, yeah. So it's a little tricky to say because we have so many different active projects. Yeah. But uh, yeah, most people, when they want to dip their toe and they're just kind of wondering what can be grown and what is the scale, I think people don't realize that we are really capable of going to scale now. And the industry is progressing so much faster than most others. The technology and the money that's being put behind all of these these ideas is out of this world. You really have to see some of these farms and see some of these technologies to believe it. And so once we can show them that, it's really opened their eyes to what what they're capable of accomplishing, especially with the budget of some of these larger companies that are already dominating the market for for fruits and vegetables. And I think it's just kind of a no-brainer for them to slowly pivot into a mix of traditional ag and indoor ag for their products. Given the pace at how everything is moving and the fact that you have a front row seat to you know a lot of these big, big projects starting, if you had to sort of pull out a crystal ball and, and we're having this conversation like a year from now, like how do you see the space evolving? Yeah, it's hard to say the shelf life. I mean, the projects that we're seeing right now, the sales cycle is pretty lengthy. Obviously, if you're trying to execute a $100 million project, that's not a, a three-week scenario. So we're seeing somewhere between six and 18 months for the majority of these projects, and then even longer for some of them. 18 months could mean a project is executed on paper, but then a building still has to be built and the technology 
you know, manufactured and shipped and ordered and then turned on. And we have to show them how it works before they really get any, any traction there. So we could be looking at 24 plus months before some of these larger projects hit the ground. So it's exciting to see what that'll turn up to be. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more press releases and a lot more splashes from some of these larger companies who are diving headfirst into vertical farming. If you had to guide them on things to look out for or or to be concerned with or things they should have on their radar, because as we all know, a lot can change in 24 months. (laughs) Just look at the past 24. Do you think about those things or do you prepare for those things or, or can you? Yeah, so we prepare as best we can. I mean, the the number one thing for vertical farming, I think, is still you just have to have your offtake agreements. You you can't be purchasing a farm that grows hundreds or thousands of pounds of produce without having some plan to offload those. I mean, obviously, the shelf life of produce grown in an indoor farm, it travels a lot less, so it will last a lot longer. But if you don't have a plan to to get rid of your lettuce somewhere... It's not going to be a, a great scenario for you. So uh, we really preach to have that done, you know, tell your story properly so that you're able to command the price that you're looking for. And for some of these larger scale players, they have the luxury of purchasing their own produce because they own a grocery store chain or what have you. But yeah, other than that, we just really preach proper operations. You have to have the, the right team in place to make sure that if you have any issues with your system, you know how to address them right away, which is what we're looking to really solve with this farming as a service. And uh, yeah, that, those are the two, uh, the two biggest keys, I believe. And how do you think Cultivated's role in this is, is changing and evolving? And how do you think about like the, the mix of, of specialties and experts that you, you start to, to need in order to grow at this scale? Yeah, we definitely did not anticipate we would need so many experts so quickly. Luckily, we have been in the space for a while. And so we've been able to lean on some of the resources that we thought we could wait a little bit longer to lean on. But we know quite a few people. We do know a lot of operators. And the nice thing is that with this space booming the way it is, there are so many people who want to become an operator and who want to become knowledgeable in this space to operate farms. And they see the opportunity that that brings them. And so it's not been hard for us to find candidates willing to go and operate these farms. It's just looking towards the future of how do we train them properly to ensure that whoever goes to this location is capable of operating the farms that we're sending them to. So for the time being, we've got a handful of true experts who have a lot of hands-on experience and some, you know, education into these farms. So we're sending them with people who have not been trained or have very little experience, and they will be trained by the expert. And then the expert will keep moving from location to location and training these these new uh, employees who are looking to get into vertical farming. Do you see that that's one of the spaces where if that doesn't keep pace with the the growth, the education and the training and the the job pool, like, because to your point, I think you said there's 100 jobs opening across what we just talked about, but it feels like there's a big need for education, a big need for people being trained and well-trained and qualified in the space. Yeah. So we're actually looking to potentially open up a hybrid farm that we're going to turn into kind of a vertical farming university, hopefully this year. That's kind of an ambitious plan that we have with everything else that we have on our plate, but something that we've been discussing for a little bit here. I think you're going to see more of that in the near future. 
it's definitely something that's needed. There is no lack of farming jobs that are going to be coming in 2022 and 2023, hundreds and hundreds. And that's just, you know, on our side of things. So I can imagine how much all these other farming companies are going to need. And so I think that education proponent is, is really huge. And, and we're looking at different avenues of addressing that. There are some platforms online where you can get some education, like uh, Upstart University that I'm aware of, but there needs to be something more for people coming into the space so that they can really dig their teeth in it and better understand what they're getting themselves into. So with all the, the moving parts and the speed of the growth that uh, Cultivate is, is experiencing, <laughs> what keeps you, you know, motivated to keep going like why why do you like the short question is like why do you do what you do but like <laughs> what has you so ex like excited about this space because obviously you have a passion for this and there's so many innovations happening in the space but i'm wondering just you personally like when you get up <laughs> in the morning and you think about like what what you have ahead of you both in the work for that day but just as you think about these long-term plans these like one year two year projects like you know what goes through your mind I think the most exciting opportunity is that we actually have the power to make a dent in this gigantic issue that the world is facing. It's kind of cool to to have the, this opportunity where we we can really address this, we can really make a difference. We can we can help people, we can grow food in places where food has never been accessible and we can make a change for the better. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of other jobs that I've had where I didn't have this feeling and the staff I have around me is so great. And what we're building together is, you know, that's, that's what keeps me going. Everyone has uh, drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak. And uh, it's really awesome to see, to see the team grow together. And, uh, you know, we're really close knit and uh, everyone we bring on helps so greatly. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just exciting. Get to travel the world and make it a better place at the same time. So, pretty good on all fronts. Do uh, have you found that family and friends have a, a better idea of what you do now? Because vertical farming is like hot and it's like, it's like a it's a hip thing to be involved in. I, I spoke to John Purcell at Unfold, I think uh, last year, and his daughter was saying like, "Oh, Dad, you're cool now because you're into like vertical farming." Yeah, the last year, I'd say the last. 12 months or so people have really kind of when i bring it up they're like oh wow i actually have heard of that that's really cool i can't believe that i've never met somebody who's doing that i think that's going to go away soon too because more and more people are hopping into this industry kind of feels like the the dot-com bubble right now yeah where are you sending folks to when they want to learn more about the industry or do you want to kind of start to dip their toes in the water? So we're developing our own materials. Just brought on a couple of people for content writing, a new director of marketing and social media director. So we're trying to develop our own materials because we like to tailor that information to make sure that people are getting the right stuff if they want to dive headfirst. Um, and then there's Upstart University. Agritecture has some great resources as well. And then uh, there's some companies like Nelson and Pay that offer some aquaponics crash courses and stuff. So a little bit piecemeal here and there that we're trying to, to aggregate together. But uh, uh, you mentioned uh, agriculture. Is, is Henry in Dubai permanently? Henry Gordon Smith? Because <laughs> I keep seeing his posts on social and he's, he's in Dubai. And I, get, I thought he got stuck there in COVID. And I think he's, I don't know if he's there now. I spoke to him last week and he was in Spain okay. for the holidays. And I think he's going back to the UAE. I'm not, don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was there while we were there at the conference. He was the keynote speaker, I believe. Was that, you guys had chatted before? You met in person before? No, that was actually the first time I, I chatted with him. Okay. 
And what conferences are, do you have lined up for 2022? We've got about 30 or so identified Whoa. already. So quite the, <laughs> quite the circuit. So you, if anyone wants to chat, I'll be, uh, I'll be, I'll be around. I'm going to try to make an uh, indoor icon in uh, Vegas. Perfect. I will definitely be there. Yeah. yeah. So, so really exciting stuff. I'm glad um, came back to, to get us updated. It seems like um, it was moving at a breakneck speed when we chatted last. And it feels like the pace hasn't let up. And I'm you know, super excited for what you guys are doing because I, I feel like you, you hold a really important role in this space in terms of education. And, you know, with new industries like this, or growing industries like this, I think there's a, there's a lot of room for people getting the wrong information or, or starting off on the wrong foot. And I think what Cultivated is doing is is a really invaluable resource for this industry because I think the more people have success, the more they can tell these stories. And for people that are new to the industry, they can see that the potential. Because if people were having, you know, not a good experience with their first farm they would tell that story to like the family and friends like, Oh no, don't do it. I tried it. It didn't work out. But I think so this, this handholding that you're providing, I think is extremely valuable. Yeah, definitely. We want to see farms operate and then expand instead of shut down. And then obviously that's going to have a ripple effect. Like you said, when they're pitching that to other people in their network or friends or family. And so everyone who, who is entering the industry is being a part of the solution. Yeah. And so we want to make sure we're maximizing that. So any ask you have of the audience? Not specifically, but feel free to reach out to us for anything you need, whether it's just a question, just want to get your feet wet, you want to learn some more information, give us a shout. Okay, so we'll make sure we have links to the, the site cultivated on the show notes and we'll uh, have people keep an eye out there for some upcoming announcements. I'm sure there's, <laughs> there's stuff that's pending that's in the works as well, and especially new partnerships and things of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be announcing uh, quite a few things in the new year, so stay tuned. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come back uh, and sharing the new news with us, Eric. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks again to Cultivated for being a fantastic sponsor. If you're looking into a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, make sure you reach out to them today. The best part about it is that their service is free, and it's because they work on behalf of their partners. So head on over to cultivated.com. Just leave off the last E. That's C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D dot com. Fullcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash VFP15. Another reminder, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published. Thanks for listening to another episode of Pod Tease, a production of the MediaCasters. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to discover your next binge-worthy favorite. For more information, visit our website, themediacasters.com, and follow us on social platforms at The MediaCasters.